If you'd like to spend some time with real people with a real heart for God, we welcome you to visit us at Harvest Church in Alexandria, Virginia. Our Sunday morning services are held at 1030, and our Family Night Fellowship takes place on Wednesday at 7 p.m. Come experience God's awesome, life-changing power as we worship in His presence, fellowship with one another, commit to discipleship, and share God's love through evangelism. For more information or directions, visit HarvestNova.com. That's HarvestNova.com. I'm reading an extended passage of Scripture this morning from 2 Chronicles chapter 10. We'll begin reading at verse number 1. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all the Israelites had gone there to make him king. When Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard this, he was in Egypt, where he had fled from King Solomon. He returned from Egypt. So they sent for Jeroboam, and he and all Israel went to Rehoboam and said to him, Your father put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. Rehoboam answered, Come back to me in three days. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime. How would you advise me to answer these people, he asked. They replied, if you will be kind to these people and please them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. But Rehoboam rejected the advice the elders gave him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. He asked them, what is your advice? How should we answer these people who say to me, lighten the yoke your father put on us? The young men who had grown up with him replied, tell the people who have said to you, your father put a a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Tell them, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. Three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to Rehoboam as the king had said, come back to me in three days. The king answered them harshly. Rejecting the advice of the elders, he followed the advice of the young men and said, my father made your yoke heavy, I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips, I will scourge you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people for this turn of events was from God to fulfill the word the Lord had spoken to Jeroboam, son of Nebat, through Ahijah the Shionite. When all Israel saw that the king refused to listen to them, they answered the king, What share do we have in David? What part in Jesse's son? To your tents, O Israel, look after your own house, O David. So all the Israelites went home. But as for the Israelites who were living in the towns of Judah, Rehoboam still ruled over them. King Rehoboam sent out Adoniram, who was in charge of forced labor, but the Israelites stoned him to death. King Rehoboam, however, managed to get into his chariot and escape to Jerusalem. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. The title of my message today is Decisions, Decisions. Decisions, Decisions. How many know life is full of decisions? You know, uh, Labor Day is tomorrow and there's... September has begun. I know it still feels like the middle of summer. It's going to be a hot one this week. But uh, time is moving ahead. And there are, you know, times during the year, uh, not just the beginning of the year, but there are times during the year when it just seems like things are getting started and kids are back in school. I think they're back in school already. And we're just moving into a new season. And as we do, I I thought it would be... uh, 
prudent this morning to contemplate the decisions we make. How many know life is full of decisions, whether we want to make them or not? And putting off or ignoring a decision is actually making a decision, right, to do that. Uh, I heard a story about a farmer who hired a man to work for him, and uh, he told him his first task would be to paint the barn and said it should take him about three days to complete. But the hired man was finished in one day. So the farmer set him to cutting wood, telling him it would require about four days, but the hired man finished in a day and a half to the farmer's amazement. The next task was to sort out a large pile of potatoes. He was to arrange them in three piles, seed potatoes, food for the hogs, and potatoes that were good enough to sell. The farmer said it was a small job and shouldn't take long at all. At the end of the day, the farmer came back and found the hired man had barely started. What's the matter here? The farmer asked. Uh, The the, uh, man answered, I can work hard, but I can't make decisions. (laughs) And sometimes we're like that, you know, give us hard work to do and tell us, make it very, but boy, making decisions can be rough. In the passage that we read this morning, uh, David's son, King Solomon, had had died. He had passed away, and so his son, Rehoboam, became king of Israel. And uh, though the kingdom prospered under Solomon, we see from this passage that he was a heavy taskmaster, and so uh, the the people of Israel, led by uh, a man named Jeroboam, came to Rehoboam and said, we ask you if you would lighten our load. Uh, your father put a heavy load on us, would you lighten our load? And um, so Rehoboam had a decision to make. He said, come back in three days and I'll give you my decision. And uh, we're going to look at some of uh, the the decision that he made. And in doing so, I want to share with you some important principles uh, we need to keep in mind when making decisions. Uh, you know, good decisions are a blessing, aren't they? Uh, when you go through a situation and you pondered and considered what you should do and you conclude that you made a good decision, that's a good feeling, isn't it? But what about when you make the wrong decision? Now, some decisions are more consequential than others. We know that. But what about when you make the wrong decision and you say, oh, boy, I really blew that one? Any, anybody ever say that to themselves beside me. Thank, thank you for a few hands. Not making me the only one. Well, we see uh, three important principles in this passage uh, to keep in mind when making decisions in life. And I want to say this at the outset. King Rehoboam failed to follow any, all three of these principles. He didn't follow any of them. And the results were, were cataclysmic. Uh, So, what are some important principles, that's the question I want to answer, what are some important principles to keep in mind when making decisions in life? And if we follow these principles, it'll save us a lot of trouble, a lot of pain. I'm not saying we'll never have hardship, because that's part of life. But if we follow these principles, it will keep us from disaster, it will keep us from going down the wrong road and suffering the consequences of our bad decisions. So what are some important principles to keep in mind when making decisions in life? The first principle is this. Choose wise versus like-minded counselors. 
choose wise counselors versus like-minded counselors. Uh, Rehoboam, when uh, asked this question, the first thing he did was consult uh, the elder counselors who had been counselors to his father Solomon. And so he asked them uh, what uh, he should do, and they gave him their advice, which we're going to talk more about in a few minutes. But uh, he wasn't satisfied with just getting uh, their uh, counsel, and so he uh, went to some of the younger men, his contemporaries, uh, the men his age, the scripture says, who grew up with him, and he sought their advice. And, and uh, we're, we're going to see which advice he followed. But the, the point is, he went one place for advice and didn't like the advice he got. So he went to another place where uh, he was probably more likely to get the advice he wanted to hear. The men who were his contemporaries who grew up with him, and he received their advice, which was very different from the counsel the elder counselors had given him. And that's a picture of human nature. We do that, don't we? I have found so many times that often when people, not always, but often when people ask for counsel, very often instead of really wanting to hear wise, biblical, godly, sound advice and sound counsel, what they really want is a rubber stamp for what they already plan to do. I've, I've seen it many times. I've had people sit in my office here in the church building and ask me for counsel. And when I do my best to give them counsel from the word of God and sound counsel, I can tell right away if they're receiving it or not. You know, you, can, you, can, you, you get used to reading people. And you can tell, and, and you can tell if it's not landing. And immediately I know why. It's because they had in mind to take a course of action and I didn't rubber stamp what they wanted to hear. And they may be polite about it. They may even say they'll consider it, but I can tell already they won't. Because they've made up their mind what they want to do and they just want someone else's stamp of approval. We need to be careful of doing that. Can I tell you something? For any course of action that you want to take, no matter uh, the scope of it, no matter how outlandish it may seem to some, you will have no problem, if you know where to look, you will have no problem finding someone who will give you their stamp of approval and say, go with it. And uh, you, you want a perfect example, look at social media. Doesn't matter what somebody posts, unbiblical, ungodly, I'm talking about Christians now, doesn't matter, you will find other folks and Christians who just say, man, yeah, put in all their likes and, and, and uh, you know, they're loving that remark and they're going with it. Why? Because opinions are a dime a dozen. And you will always be able to find someone to tell you what you want to hear. How many know what I'm talking about? But you see, if, if you or I only go to people who will tell us what we want to hear, who will rubber stamp what we want to hear, then we're not really seeking to gain counsel. 
We're, 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 just, we're just seeking, as I said, a rubber stamp. If we truly want biblical counsel, we will go to a wise counselor, a, a, a godly, a spiritual counselor, someone who will uh, counsel us in accordance with the principles of God's word, someone who will pray with us, someone who we give permission to point a finger at us and say you're making a mistake. So what kind of counselors do you consult? The people who will share biblical truth or people who will tell you what you want to hear. In 1848, a man named Ignaz Semmelweis discovered the simple technique of having a physician wash his hands in a chlorine solution before delivering a baby. This procedure immediately reduced the maternal mortality rate in the clinic from 18% to 1%. Now we know today, it's just it's a no-brainer. Physicians should wash their hands. We all in agreement with that? But this was in 1848. And even though there was empirical evidence that the infant mortality rate was reduced by physicians washing their hands, 12 years later in 1860 in the same clinic, 35 out of 101 mothers died. What happened? Well, Semmelweis was perceived as a flake, a disruptor, someone who had extreme political views. Physicians didn't take him seriously, so nobody listened. In June 1865, Semmelweis was in despair. He was duped into entering a mental sanitarium where he killed himself two weeks later. It was another two decades before uh, Lister and Pasteur came along uh, uh, validating Semmelweis's view that uh, washing hands was necessary. The evidence was there. Why didn't they believe it? Because it came from someone they didn't want to hear from. And see, there's a certain humility in, in, in having an honest approach to getting counsel. Are you and I open to receiving counsel from someone uh, that you know might not be our cup of tea? Can God speak to you through someone who's, you know, uh, not your best buddy, not the at the top of your Christmas card list, you know? Or will you just write someone off, they, no, I don't want to hear from that quack, that flake, because, you know, I, I, I want to hear from somebody who gets me, you know? So, uh, in order to make wise decisions, we need to seek out wise counselors versus those uh, who... Uh, or have necessarily the same viewpoint we have and we'll just rubber stamp what we want to hear. And Rehoboam didn't do that. He wasn't satisfied. Who are you listening to? Who has your ear today? Some people make critical life decisions and fail to gain godly, biblical, wise counsel. Don't make that mistake. Choose wise counselors versus like-minded counselors. What's the second important principle to keep in mind when making a decision in life? It's to do what's right versus what's appealing. That's a tough one, isn't it? Do what's right versus what's appealing. The elder counselors said, give the people a favorable response. Uh, you know, give in to their request to lighten their load and they'll serve you. They'll be with you. 
The younger counselors, his contemporaries, said just the opposite. You tell them, you think you had a hard time under my father Solomon. You haven't seen anything yet. I, I, I'm a I'm, I'm hundred times tougher than him. And buckle up, because things are going to get worse. And so he followed uh, the advice of the younger men. Why? Because it appealed to him. It appealed to him. He said, I want to do that because I'm a tough guy. Okay? I'm a tough guy. I'm tougher than my father, Solomon. Solomon was only the wisest man who ever lived on the earth. Not that he was perfect, because he made some mistakes at the end. But, you know, I'm tougher than my father, Solomon. So I'm going to do what appeals to me. And so that was the answer uh, that he gave uh, to the people and their request. He said, he said, no, I'm not going to give in to your request. As a matter of fact, things are going to get tougher. And that's always a challenge, isn't it? To do what's right versus doing what's appealing. Anybody ever been faced with those kind of choices? We all have. What am I going to do? Am I going to do the right thing? Am I going to do what appeals to me? It's no wonder that in 15 years of asking high school students throughout America whether in an emergency situation they would save their dog or a stranger first, what do you think most students answered? They would save the dog. Responses were similar to this. I love my dog. I don't love the stranger. And so... Uh, what does this mean? It means that feelings have replaced the cognitive decision-making process of, of figuring out what's the right thing to do, what's the best thing to do, what, uh, what should I do, what ought I to do. That cognitive process has been replaced with how do I feel. Now, feelings are important. God made us with emotions. God made us with feelings. Uh, and, and, and so uh, there's nothing wrong with having feelings, but we are not to be led by our feelings. I've used the illustration of a pilot who, who uh, in certain situations can become disoriented and feel like up is down and down is up. And, and, and so they, they can't be led by how they feel. They have to trust their instrumentation that's on the panel in front of them because that's an objective uh, uh, set of uh, uh, that's uh, of data that they can go by and it will save their lives and so uh, we are at, and in the church we are subject to this as well subject to being led by our feelings by what's appealing by, by, by what, what pleases my flesh versus what is the right thing to do there was a young man named uh, Lou Alcindor was a college basketball player, the, the greatest college basketball player uh, in the late 60s, part of John Wooden's UCLA team that won like 11 consecutive national championships. And uh, he was just turning pro and he had stardom written all over him. He had the height, the God-given talent, the desire to win. And uh, there were two pro basketball leagues at that time, the, the Na National Basketball Association, NBA, and the ABA, American Basketball Association. ABA was the younger league, NBA was established. The Milwaukee Bucks of the NBA drafted him, and uh, they offered him a starting contract of $1.4 million. Now, this was back in 1969 when $1.4 million was real money, you know. 
That was a joke. I think it's still real money. Um, uh, but in the, in the ABA, the, the New York Nets at that time, they're the Brooklyn Nets now, but the New York Nets drafted him and had his ABA rights, and they offered him $3.25 million. $1,850,000 more. But when the Bucks had drafted him and offered him the $1.4 million contract, he agreed to them. He verbal, gave his verbal agreement that uh, he would sign with them. And then this larger contract, more than double uh, offer, came from the Nets after that. And so he had a choice to make, and he ended up uh, signing with Milwaukee and uh, taking $1,850,000 less for one reason, because he said, I gave them my word. I gave them my word. Even though his word cost him, uh, almost, two million, cost him almost $2 million at the time. We know him today as Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, one of the greatest basketball players in NBA history. But as a young man, he was a man who gave his word. He did what was right versus what's appealing. And you and I are faced with choices every day whether or not to do the right thing or the thing that appeals to our flesh. What are we going to choose? We may have made bad decisions in the past. We can't undo the past. But today can be a new day. Amen? Today can be a new day. And we can make right decisions from here on out. Now, you notice I said do what's right. I didn't say it'll be easy. How many know uh, almost pretty much every time doing the right thing will be much harder than doing what's appealing? And, 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 and doing the thing that isn't right will maybe get you out of some tight spots and you can get by. But God places value on us doing the right thing. Do the right thing versus what's appealing. What's the third important principle to keep in mind when making decisions in life? It's this. Change course versus continuing toward disaster. Change course versus continuing toward disaster. Now, I want to be clear about one thing. It says here in the text that God had decreed, because of disobedience, God had decreed that, that the, the ten tribes, the northern kingdom of Israel, would be torn away from, uh, from the southern kingdom and that only the, the kingdom known as the kingdom of Judah, the two tribes, would remain uh, in, the, in the kingship in the line of King David. But that still doesn't negate the poor decisions that Rehoboam made. And after he had answered them harshly, Jeroboam and the rest of the Israelites, they, they uh, said, we're done. And so they, the ten northern tribes broke away from the two southern tribes based in Jerusalem and formed their own kingdom. And after that, you read in the Old Testament accounts of, of uh, you know, the, the kings and the prophets of Israel and then of Judah, the southern kingdom. They became two kingdoms. But... Rehoboam wasn't about to give up, and so it says he sent out a man named Adoniram, who was in charge of forced labor, to try and enforce his edict, and to try and be the tough guy that he said he was. But this man, Adoniram, it says, uh, the Israelites stoned him to death. And the, the, the uh, secession was in place. They, uh, they broke away. 
And what did, so what did Rehoboam do by doing that? He doubled down on his poor decision. He continued toward disaster versus changing course. If we do find that we've made a poor decision, because we're human and sometimes we will, the absolute worst thing we can do because of pride or because of any other reason is to double down and say, you know what, I made this, I'm, I'm going to go forward with this, I'm going to keep going in that direction. Very often when we do that, we will go toward disaster. And that's what Rehoboam did. You know, you, you hear stories in sports, we have a lot of sports fans here, you know, of coaches fired sometimes in the middle of a season, coaches who are under contract and the team has to pay the rest of that contract, but they fire them because they're not doing well. Uh, last year, the Philadelphia Phillies had a horrible record through about a third of the season. They fired their manager, they hired someone new, they went all the way to the World Series. They, they didn't win it, but they went all the way to the World Series because the owner said, we are headed in the wrong direction. We're going to change course. And it's so important to recognize, hey, I didn't make the best decision or things aren't going the right way. Uh, there's a change that needs to be made in my life. I need to do something different. They say the definition of insanity is to do the same thing over and over and expect different results, right? How many know things in life don't often just turn around because we wish they would? Sometimes we have to take action. We have to go in a different direction. I mean, think about this. Uh, driving faster won't get you where you're going any quicker if you're headed in the wrong direction. You know? If you're supposed to be traveling east and you find yourself traveling west, boy, I'm not, get, I'm not getting there. What's the, I better step on the gas. So you go faster west. Will that get you there any quicker? No, it'll get you further away. But we do that. We laugh at that. But we do that, don't we? We double down. We dig our heels in. As I said, because of pride or because we, we don't want to, to, to take the steps and do the work that will be involved in changing course. Changing course is difficult sometimes. Turning around is difficult. It will involve changes. It will involve, uh, you know, messing up uh, the structure that you've set up for your life and, and, and having to do things a different way. They say it takes 21 days to form a new habit and some of us never make it through 21 days because we, we, we fall back to the old habits. Because change is hard. Change is difficult. Changing course uh, will, will cause you to pull your hair out and it, you'll wonder if it's worth it. But there are times when we're headed in the wrong direction that we need to, to stop and take stock of where we're going. We need to look at the road signs and say, hey, Pressing the gas, going faster won't get me where I need to go any quicker because I'm headed in the wrong direction. With your lifestyle, with your financial decisions, with your moral decisions, with your, 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 your career decisions, whatever it might be. And so a, a critical uh, principle of making decisions is when you have made a wrong decision, you're heading in the wrong direction, to change course versus continuing toward disaster. It, like I said, it's not easy, it's hard, it's tough. But it's necessary. So, in conclusion, today, 
Uh, I want to reiterate just what we've shared. We asked the question, what are some important principles to keep in mind when making decisions in life? And as I said, some decisions are, uh, you know, uh, less consequential than others. Okay? If you order pasta for lunch and get home and said, I wish I ordered the steak, um, you may think of that as a bad decision, but it's not really that big a deal, is it? Maybe to some people, if you're a foodie, right? But there are other more important, more consequential decisions that we want to get right. I don't know about you, I want to get decisions right. What are those principles? First of all, choose wise counselors versus like-minded counselors. Choose people you know are going to give you the straight word, the true word, the biblical word, the word of wisdom versus, yeah, man, you got it. You're right, man. Just, just do that. Go ahead. Just tell us what we want to hear. Tickle our ears. Choose wise counselors versus like-minded counselors. Second principle, do what's right versus what's appealing. Make the right choice. Do the difficult thing. I, I, I saw a, a sign in, um, down in uh, Mission Barbecue, and I, I took a picture of it because I wanted to remember it. It says this. It says, choose the harder right instead of the easier wrong. I like that. Choose the harder right instead of the easier wrong. Do what's right versus what's appealing. Third principle is this. Change course versus continuing toward disaster. Sometimes we don't get it right. Sometimes we make mistakes. Don't, double, don't do what Rehoboam did. Don't double down. Don't press the gas harder and say, I'm going to get there faster. No, you won't if you're going the wrong direction. What do I need to do to change course? What isn't working? What in my life isn't pleasing to God? What do I need to change? David prayed after he had sinned with Bathsheba. He prayed in Psalm 51, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit in me. Cast me not away from your presence. David said, I blew it. I blew it. Lord, help me to turn around. Help me to turn around. Help me to move in the right direction. Renew a right spirit in me. Make me what you want me to be. Can I tell you this? If you have gone down the wrong road, if you have made a wrong decision, it's not the end. How many know God specializes in renewal? God specializes in turning things around. God specializes in getting us on the right track if we'll turn to him.